Thank you for joining us for another podcast from Covenant Community Church. And now, today's message from Assistant Pastor Tim Rogers. We're going to be talking about, are you bearing the image of Christ? Are you bearing the image of Christ? So we're going to start um, in Genesis. So I'm going to go ahead and start reading. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it said, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and all of the earth, and over every creepy thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Amen. All right, so that's some good stuff. Right. so here God is talking about this is when we were created. Right? But here, we don't have a body yet. That comes later. Right, so God is talking spiritually here. He created us. All right, so let's go ahead and turn over to Matthew. All right, um, and then we're going to read uh, 17, Matthew 22, 17 uh, through 22. So we're going to read a little bit of this. It says, "Tell us, therefore, what to do. What do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not?" But Jesus perceived their wickedness. So notice God already knew what they were kind of up to when they asked him the question. Oh, that lets you know that we can't hide anything from God. Even when we try to get to him in a roundabout question, he still knows what the heart of the question really is. Mm. And he said, why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me, show me the tax money. So Jesus is uh, straight to the point here, right? So they brought him a denarius, and he said to them, whose image and inscription is on? And they said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, render, therefore, to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Amen. All right, so let's get ready to dive into this a little bit here. All right, so we just talked about two scriptures that mention an image. One is a natural image on some money. The other image is the image that God talked about when he created us, right? So there are two type of images we, we can have. But those not, aren't really the only images in the world. There's tons of them, right? So right now, what I want you to do is think about the most successful company you can right now, just real quick, anything. Doesn't matter what business they're in, what they do. But when you think of that company, normally an image will come to you. Something about that company is distinctive for a reason, right? So most of the time, every company has a logo, all right? So what does that logo do for them, though? The logo is part of their overall marketing, right? It's how they get their message out of, well, their services to you, the consumers, to me the demographic that they're trying to reach, right? So it has a purpose behind it. That's what, that's what I want you to see here. And with that image comes a certain thought process of connotation of what that company represents, right? So as an example, I'm going to throw out Apple, all right? So I'm going to tell you, when I think about Apple, there are a couple things that come to mind, right? When I think of them, the three things that come to me is a person, a characteristic, and a product. So really, what does that company do? What do they offer me? And generally, who came up with it? Who, who's behind the vision of it? Right? So when I think about Apple, I think about Steve Jobs. The one characteristic that I think about is savvy. Apple is all about trying to be savvy. That's their marketing. 
They're trying to be above everybody else technologically for phones and mobile devices. That's what they want to do. Right? Their product, the first one I thought about, is the iPhone. Right? So that's not the only product, but that's the one that I simulate when I see that little apple. That's what I think about. But they're not the only ones. Every major company has something like that. Right? When I think about McDonald's, right? I actually don't even think about the person that came up or owns McDonald's. I actually don't think of that person. You know who comes to my mind first off? Ronald McDonald. <laughs> right? So what I'm getting at is, is that this doesn't necessarily have to be a real person. It's whatever that connotation that that company has marketed it. So my, Ronald McDonald is the first person that comes to my mind. What characteristic? Kid-friendly. They're all about trying to get your kids in there to ask you, Mommy, can I go to McDonald's? Right? Their product? The Happy Meal. Or... The Golden Arches, right? Those are the two products that I think about, right? So the product can also be the logo, right? Because generally, you see the Golden Arches before you even see the building. <laughs> they got them on billboards. They got them on every highway. It's the tallest sign. Because if you want to see what variety you can get, they want to be the first one you see. All right? All right? So this continues, right? Nike. In this case, I think about Phil Knight. Right? That's the person. Michael Jordan. That's another one. Right? The characteristic. Just sports in general. That's what they do. Anything related to sports, sports apparel, whatever that happens to be, that's what they do. Their product, the swoosh. That's the sign that everybody knows. So I can name company after company after company. But what this came to is, is that now let's tie it into what we just read. What I want to talk about is, is that there is a big difference between a logo and an image. Now, the great thing is, is that God has given us something so distinctive about him that he has created us in his image. That no matter where we go, that should be on us no matter what. Now, the image goes a whole lot deeper than a logo. Because the logo might confer some things, but most of us don't know if the corporate culture at that company really supports that logo. We just assume it does because that's what they say. So whereas a logo only gives you a surface view, an image should go deep. So every touch point that a Christian has with God, we somebody should be able to see that in the image that's on you. The image. It has greater impact. And I believe that God wants us to get back to what he cares about. There are so many things that we're focused on personally, career-wise, family-wise, children-wise, business-wise, church-wise, ministry-wise, they all come in. And I'm not saying that any of that is unimportant. But what I am saying is, is that I believe God wants us to refocus a little bit. He wants Christians to refocus on what's important to him. So the next question should be, well, what is important to him? His image is important to him. I know it has to be important because he created us in it. So why would he create us in something that doesn't mean anything to him? 
So ultimately, we have to be bearing the image of Christ. And bearing the image of Christ, I believe, comes in three principles that we need to talk about this morning. All right. I don't necessarily believe that God is looking for his people to tote around a logo. But I do think that he expects us to bear his image. Because it's one thing to say you're something. There's another thing for you to display it. That's anybody. It's very easy for a company to throw out a logo, but for them to stand behind it is a totally different thing. And there are companies that don't line up with their logo. There are plenty that do too, right? So you have some on both ends. But the credibility of God is on the line when it comes to his image, though. Because it's not for us. It's not for Christians. It's for people that don't know him. How does it look if we say or do one thing and then they look at the Bible and they say, but that's, that's, that don't line up. That can be a major setback for some people. It's important. It's important the image that we display. Yeah. So what is God concerned about? So let's go ahead and start digging into this a little bit. So we're going to talk about three principles to accurately, to accurately bearing the image of God. All right. So I told you I was going to make you turn, so we're going to read some scripture this morning. So the first one is in Galatians chapter 5. So let's go ahead and turn there. All right, everybody, everybody on board so far? Is this making sense? All right. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. I'm going to go ahead and read. But the, spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. So what God is saying is, is that there's nothing that anybody can ever say to you if you're operating in these. There is nothing that should come again. There's no law against any of it. It's completely pure, all of it, all right? But the next scripture is, woo, and though the, those who are crisis have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. All right, so we normally read that first part, that first one, but the second one actually brings the balance. So God is saying to operate in the first part, we got to get rid of the flesh in the second part. Else we can't truly operate in the way it should be operated in right then. So the first principle we have, we have to be concerned with displaying God's character. We have to be concerned with displaying God's character. All right. So when you think about this, the fruit of the Spirit is actually God's character and how he explains it to us. It's the manifest presence of who he is. It's everything he is wrapped up into the fruit of the Spirit. That's what he always operates in. So that is his character. When we look at him, that's what we should see. And that is what we see. But more importantly, when people look at us, that's what they should also see. Right? Now, the problem, though, is, is that we can get... we get this messed up a little bit. Jesus talked about it in the Beatitudes, right? If you remember, there were several times that he talked about, you have heard that it has been said. So what is he doing? He's bringing correction, right? It's a thought. It's a moral thought of you think you really understand what that means when you hear it, but that's not the totality of really what that is. Let's give an example, right? He talks about murder. You say, thou shall not murder. What does he say? He says murder is, is that when you have an ought with your brother, 
for no just cause. That is murder. So it goes deeper than just me physically hurting someone and killing them. God says that's just the tip of the iceberg. Really what you should be striving for is, is not to have an ought with your brother unjustly. So make sure you read it. It says unjustly, meaning you just mad at him because you mad at him. Oh, oh boy. Okay. You mad at him for something that is superficial, that means absolutely nothing. You mad at him because they cut you off. That's superficial. You mad at him because they didn't like your dress that day. That's superficial, right? I hope none of us are doing this. But what I'm saying is, is that this is what people get mad about. They get mad about this type of thing. You didn't call me. Oh, it's superficial. Right? Not taking into consideration what's going on in that person's life, not understanding what they might have been going through. None of that. Just, well, you didn't call me, so I'm, a, I'm a mad with you right now. That's superficial. So that's what I'm talking about, having an all. And actually, the Bible goes on to say is, is that before you even come in the temple to give your offering, you need to go get forgiveness and get it right with your brother. Amen. Right? So going deeper than just, well, physical murder. Well, that, but that's not the only one. It talks about adultery, too. In the same sense, right? You say, thou shalt not commit adultery. He says that if you lust at the sight of a woman, ooh, then you have already committed adultery. Right, so what is he? He's getting to the core of what the issues are. It's not just this surface level. That's where the character of God comes into play. It's not a surface thing for us. It's got to be more than just, well, I, you know, I talk like God. I know the Bible a little bit. No, it's got to go deeper than just that. It's got to be, do we understand truly what God is looking for as it relates to our lives? It goes on. You say to hate your enemy. The Bible says that you should bless your enemy and pray for him. So that, that's a totally different level. So when we think about this character, I want you to get it in context. That's the reason I went over it that way. Because you got to understand it's deeper than just saying, I just know. I, I got to know. I got to do some research. I got to spend time with the Holy Spirit. I got to be in prayer. I got to ask God to clean my heart out. I got to ask God to change the way I think, the way I see people. It's all of it. It's an intensity to truly know his heart. That is the image and the character of God. That's what we're getting at. That's what we need. That's what God is concerned with. He's concerned with us displaying his character. I got something for you. All right. So I want, you to, I want you to meditate on this a little bit. To bear the image of Christ, Christians must willingly undertake the continual mandate of dying to the flesh. Only through that will people genuinely see God and not them. God cannot truly be seen by people that are not Christians, if we don't get rid of our flesh. When you bear something, it means to uncover and expose. That is the dictionary definition of it. So what that means is, is that something has to die or uncover, and then something is exposed. So we can't do this in reverse. We can't try to display the character of God without dying. We got to die first, then we can display the character of God. It has to go in that order. 
that I must decrease so that he increases in us. It's all over the word. We, we've got to decrease for people to truly see his character. That was the great thing about Jesus. Even though he was in the flesh, he could still portray every attribute of God. He could do that because he was God. But we have to be able to die to our flesh to make sure that we continue to do this. Amen. Does that make sense? Amen. Amen. So the first one, be concerned with God, displaying God's character. All right. So let's go ahead to the second one. All right. So go over to Numbers. Chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. All right. Because of time, I'm going to go ahead and start reading because I want to read a big slice of this because we need to get it all. So Numbers 14, 11. I'm going to start at verse 11. It says, Then God said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? How long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? Now notice what God is saying. God is saying he's done things right in front of them. And they still don't believe. Okay? I will strike them with a pestilence and disherit them. And I will make you a nation greater and mightier than they. And Moses says to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear, For by your might you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell it to their inhabitants of this land. And they have heard that you, Lord, are among these people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands above them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard your fame, have heard your fame, will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land which he swore to give them, therefore he killed them in the wilderness." And now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, giving, uh, forgiving iniquities and transgressions. But he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquities of the fathers of the children to the third and fourth generation. Pardon the iniquities of these people, I pray, according to your greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven these people from Egypt until now. So the next thing that God is concerned with, be concerned with God's name. We have to be concerned with God's name. Now, there's a whole lot of really good stuff in that scripture that we just read. So I'm going to go through it a little bit here. But this is why I said what we sung earlier is prophetic, because God is saying his name matters. And right now, his name is not getting the glory that it should be getting. His name isn't. So the uh, Israelites are come out, right? So God says he's getting ready to take them out, right? I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. Moses prays for them. So the first thing we got to understand is how powerful our prayers are. If you can't get that out of anything else in that scripture, you've got to understand how important and how powerful prayers are. Moses prayed for a pardon for a whole nation, not a community, not a city, not a region, a whole nation. So if he can pray for that, why can't we? Why can't we pray for America like that? What happens if we are the catalyst that gets God to pardon America? Our prayers are powerful. Second thing is in there is, is that notice that God said all of the things that he had done up to that point. 
So he had come out. He had brought them out, the Red Sea. You had all of the plagues. You had the, well, the spying of the land. You had the people revolting against Moses. You had all of these things where miracles were done right in front of them. And now God says, well, why aren't they believing me? So with that, we got to understand that just because you saw one thing take place doesn't mean that's going to make you believe later. No. Sometimes we hear the adage of that seeing is believing. That's not true. They saw a whole lot of stuff. God clearly says it because God is the one speaking. He said they don't believe now. Well, they saw it. It was right in front of them. So saying that just because you can see something means that you can believe it, that is not the case. People believe a whole lot of things. People have turned into skeptics. <laughs> They've turned into skeptics because when you can believe anything, then how do you really know what's true? Come on, you got to think about this here. People want to believe what they want to believe, right? You've got all of these different religions. You've got all of these different moral standards. Well, if you take one person's moral standard and line it up with another, then if you've got all of this stuff in the box, then how do you really know what's true? What you've really done is, is turn some people into complete skeptics. They won't believe anything anybody says. It's not about even just Christianity, just across the board. Why? There's too much variety. And when you can believe what you want to believe, then you can just lay on that. You, you don't have to defend it. You just have to believe it. <sighs> so this is the world that we're talking about that we see now. They just believe what they want to believe. And they're asking us, well, I'm, because they've turned themselves into a skeptic, unfortunately. Which means that it's even more important that we do this accurately, that we bear the image of Christ. Because they have to have some type of truth they have to come to. Time after time after time, God showed them things. So now we have to reverse it. It's not really that seeing is believing, it's believing is seeing. Well, why can I say that? Because God says that the just shall walk by faith and not by sight. Well, what is he talking about? You see through your faith that you believe in him. That's how you see, really. You don't rely on your natural eyes to then see, right? So believing is actually what allows you to be able to see more. When you don't believe, then you limit how much you can see. A lot of times we're asking God, God, I want to see more. God says you got to get more of this because you got to believe more of it. When you believe more of it, then I'll open up more to you. We have to believe and then see it. Through the believing, as we work through that, through the word of God, then he says things start to illuminate. That's how we get revelation. So really to see, we have to have the word. The word is what? A lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Well, what is he saying? The light comes from the word. We got to believe this first. Amen. Amen. The entrance of thy word bringeth light. That's another scripture. Well, the word, then light. Light provides sight. So we have to get to the point of getting more of this. And as we get this, believe this, God. Right? So now we go over to Numbers 23. What? God shall, cannot lie. Why? So if we read this, we ought to believe it automatically. Because he cannot lie. As we do that, he illuminates everything else for us. Now, 
The, the last thing about his name is, is that we, I've seen too many people talk about how we throw Jesus' name around in vain. Um, there are a lot of people that do that. Um, and what God is showing me is, is that that we're taken away from his name. People, now, these are not people in the world because they don't, they don't know. They don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. So to them, it doesn't mean anything. But to Christians, it should. So for a Christian, we should not throw the Lord's name around in vain. Jesus talked about it in reference to the Pharisees. He says, you honor me with your mouth, but your heart is far from me. Well, what is he talking about? When you can take the Lord's name in vain and you're supposed to know him, have an intimate relationship with him, have received his salvation, his blessings, and then you can go right around and turn around and say that name like it just doesn't mean anything. That is honoring him with your lips, but your heart has got to be far from him. It has to be. Because if it really means something to you, if you understand what power is in that name, we just sung it. It's higher than any name. It's greater than any name. We have to take the Lord Jesus' name serious. We got to stop playing with it. By no other name shall man be saved. But by the name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. That's the power that's in that name. And there's too many of us claiming to be Christians and we're just, oh, Jesus. It's serious. Because if we can throw it around in a joke then how can we then ride around, turn around, God say, I need you, and pray and think there's going to be power in it. God is concerned about his name. He pardoned the whole nation because of what Moses prayed and Moses pointed out that the people heard of his name. The fame was tied to his name. They can't see him naturally. So what did they hear? They heard about Jesus. They heard about God. The God of the Israels. Well, what is that? That's his name. His name is going forth to other nations. Moses has said, please, God, don't. God's name is important. 1 Samuel 12, 22 says, For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. God says, I did it because of my name's sake. My name is on you. That's the reason I did it. Because my name is important. I don't want people to get the wrong connotation of who I am. Because you have displayed me as a great God and I am that. And because I am that, I said I'm going to pardon for my name's sake. God is serious about his name, saints. We've got to be serious. Because it's important. It's important. The same thing happens now. They do it in the natural. 
I mean, you see leaders of nations. You don't see people just throwing their people's names around. They honor who those people are. Well, if they can honor man. How can we not honor the true and living God? God says his name is important. The nations need to know that part of my image is my name. Amen. Are you all right with that? Let's go to the last one here. Um, John 11. John 11. We're gonna, I'm gonna read. I'm gonna read verses one through four first, and then I'm gonna jump down to 39 through 44, and then we'll get into what I believe God wants us to see here. It says uh, John 11. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So now if you jump over to 39, and it says, Jesus said, take away the stone. Mother, the sister whom was dead said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, from, for he has been dead four days, right? <laughs> Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then he took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And now that you have, now that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The third principle is, is that we have to be concerned with God's glory. Now, we just talked about Lazarus a little bit there. We read some of it. But I'm going to add a little bit more detail to it just so we can get a clear understanding. God says we have to be concerned with his glory. So Lazarus is sick. They come tell. Jesus knows he's sick. Now, later in the scripture, I believe it's verse 32, Mary says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not be dead. All right, so here's the part that we got to catch here. Mary had it enough faith to believe that Jesus could heal a brother. That, that wasn't a problem. Notice what she said. She said, if you had been here. So what she's implying is, is that she knew he was sick and that if Jesus had came to see him while he was sick, he could heal him. So her faith was just fine as it looked at that point. But here's the question. Did she have enough faith to believe that even though he was dead, Jesus could do something? That's totally different. Then, of course, you know what happened, right? The Lord turned it on me. He said, it's like you saying, well, God, if you come help me right now, I'll be all right. But what happens if it gets worse? Do you believe I can help you then? That's the same principle here. So he says, didn't I say that you would be able to see the glory of the Lord? So what he's saying is, is that the worse that it gets for us, the more glory comes out when he comes. Sometimes we're asking to get out and God says, no, I got more glory. 
I can do more than that. I'm bigger than that one. Oh, no, it's not easy all the time. It's never easy. But what God is saying is, is that what I'm trying to get you to go from is faith to faith, glory to glory. How do you do that? You got to go through a little bit longer. Because Mary was okay as long as Lazarus was alive. The problem was that he died. Now she's like, oh, wait a minute now, um, Jesus. Now I know you. So to see more glory, things got to get a little worse for us sometimes. But that's exactly what God wants. Now, you want to, <laughs> this is why. Because when the more glory in that situation gets harder, there is absolutely no doubt that you didn't do it. That's why it's got to get so hard. It's really more for us because we keep saying, God, I can figure this out. I can, I can make this work. God says, no, you can't. Because it's going to get to a point where you can't figure it out. There is nothing you can do. The only thing you can do is call on the name of Jesus. And he's going to have to come through for you. And everybody that sees it is going to know it. I don't know how you did that. I know how I did it. Through the name of Jesus. As we continue to move and things get harder, we need to ask God for more glory. We got to get to a point that we're totally dependent on him, no matter what. That's really what he's trying to get to. Because when we can figure it out, then we don't really have to depend on him. We can just say, oh, we, we, we worked that out. I ain't never seen a natural person work out death. The glory of God. <laughs> the glory is what God is concerned with. Because the glory is a representation of his works, of what he's doing. It's the manifestation of that. The glory is the manifestation of God's works. People have to know that God is working for you. Here's the thing. We walk around saying it. But then when God says, well, I'm trying to do it, then you want to. God is saying, let him handle it. I'm going to show you something real quick right here. I'm going to tell you about this man. His name is Soren Kierkegaard. Weird, weird name, I know. I had to practice saying it. <laughs> Soren Kierkegaard. So one of the things that God has had, has had me doing lately is looking at past theologians and the things that they've been talking about, and they did. And the question keeps coming up. God says, I can do that right now. The problem is, I got to get you where you need to be. So he was a Dutch philosopher, but he was a Christian. So I wanted to show you that before I show you what he said, because you have to know that even though he had a very prominent education. He was very intellectual. He still believed in the name of Jesus. There are two ways to be fooled. One is to believe what isn't true. The other is to refuse to believe what is true. Sometimes it can be very easy to fall into that. We believe stuff that really isn't true, 
but we refuse to believe what really is true. What really is true is, is that God can handle anything that we have. And at times we can get to a point where we don't really believe that. But we'll then turn around and believe something else, which really isn't true. People do this all the time. They'd rather stake what they believe in something that isn't true versus what is unequivocally has to be true. That is what's happening right now. That is what's happening when the message of Christ goes out. People would rather believe something that isn't true. They're fooled. We've got to believe what God is telling us. There's no way around it. We have to believe what God is saying is true. Saints, I'm hoping that this didn't um, come off too harsh because it didn't mean to be. I just believe that God is really getting us to a point that we got to refocus a little bit. We've got to be focused on everything that he is concerned with. With everything that he's concerned with flows every blessing that we will ever need. We don't have to do anything else outside of that. We have to be concerned with the image that is on our lives. We have to understand that we have to die to who we are to truly show Christ. We have to understand the importance that the world needs it. Because God says that if he be lifted up, he would draw all men. Well, what are they looking at? His image. It's still got to be about him. How do they see his image? Through his glory, through his name, through his character. We've got to get back to that being what we're concerned with. Apostle talked about it last week that the Bible is about a king and a kingdom. When you think about a king and a kingdom, all of those attributes line up. Those are the three direct things that come out of a kingdom. The character of the kingdom, the name of that, whoever the king is of the kingdom, and the glory associated to it. That's a kingdom. This is what God is concerned with. We have to get back to being concerned with this as well. I know it can get hard when we're in things. It can. So if, if I, I implied that that's easy, that, that was not in my intent. So please hear my heart. All I'm saying is, is that God is saying I'm a whole lot bigger than what we're giving him credit for. God can do some wonderful things. But he has to have us continue to move, seek him, depend on him, and show his image for it to come out. Because what can happen is that we're fighting it. And God is saying, I'm trying to give you a greater level of glory. We have to prepare ourselves for that. Because then we don't have to do anything. People are going to come up to you saying, I know there has to be a God. You won't have to explain it. You won't have to say anything. That's what it has to get to. So I want to leave you this one last thing. I told you I've been doing a lot of reading. So I came across this and uh, it just spoke to me so much that I want to share it here. There's an old Indian proverb that, from what I can, my research says, and the proverb goes like this. It says, whatever you're full of, when you're bumped, will spill out. Now, very, very simple on the surface. 
But then God asked me a question. He said, when you are bumped, does my image come out? Because God is saying that if we are full of his image, it don't matter what hit us. As soon as we rock a little bit, all that spills out is some glory. When we're bumped the other way, all that spills out is his character. When we're bumped the other way, all that spills out is his name. God is saying we've got to get there as a body, not the body of Christ. That when we are bumped, all anybody should ever hear from us is about God's name, God's character, and God's glory. That's what he's concerned with. We all got to get there. <laughs> but God loves us so much that he wants us to know. He's showing it. He's saying this is what it, we just talked about the blood and all of the power. Now we're talking about the next step. Because once we had the blood, we go back to his image. That's what we should be showing all the time. His image. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. Just give the Lord a hand clap for his word. We hope you've been blessed by today's powerful teaching. Thank you for your continued prayers and financial support of this ministry. Visit us in person at 5805 West Highway 74 in Indian Trail, North Carolina. That's near Lowe's Hardware. Or you can find us on the web at www.changeatc3.org. That's change, C-H-A-N-G-E, A-T-C, the number three, dot org. Or call us at 704-821-7368. Covenant Community Church, where the truth is revealed.